Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Rablick. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. One of the biggest topics online uh, at the moment in terms of Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and whatever the platform is, is how people behave towards each other. And in particular, how people behave towards um, people in public life. There's been an excellent piece of research done by the Oxford Internet Institute, based in the UK, obviously, uh, that looks at the way in which people have dealt with uh, female politicians online, people like Kamala Harris and others, and what lessons can be learned about the behaviour of people and what we can actually do to modify that so the, the, the flow of communication is less misogynistic, less abusive than... Uh, it currently is now joining me is the is someone who uh, is one of the authors of a report that looks at the very issue of uh, internet abuse. Um, and Alexandra Pavlou, who is going to be taking us through the research as well as uh, some of the findings that happen. Alexandra, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Absolute pleasure. Now, you've done a uh, an extensive examination of two months' worth of data, looking at 13 female politicians uh, across multiple platforms. Uh, can you explain how you went about doing that research, and then we'll get to the findings? Yeah, so first off, it, it really was a group effort. Like, there were about six of us listed as authors and a team behind us dealing with the data collection largely and, and parts of the analysis as well. So we were teamed up with the Wilson Center, a think tank in Washington, D.C., uh, led by Nina Jankovic, as, as well as Moonshot CBE, a company for countering violent extremism that's uh, based in London and has offices around the world, and, and myself, of course, as well. And the a big thing we wanted to push forward with this particular piece of research was looking at multiple social media platforms. So we didn't just look at Twitter, we looked at six platforms in total to see the kinds of abuse and the kinds of disinformation that's spread across them about American politicians, as well as a Canadian, a Brit, and a New Zealand woman politician. Okay. Uh, the the online environment is fascinating, and when you're looking at when you're looking at these things, how did you carve up the data uh, across those platforms, and what what methods did you use to weed out the the terminology? Because there's a lot of material online, isn't there? And you've got to you got to find a way of making the machines find what you're after. Yeah, of course. So we, uh, through Moonshot, we had access to a number of APIs to collect data in the first place. And the, the terms that we put in to collect the data was the name of the woman politician of the 13 we studied, as well as a list of over, I believe, 40 um, typically negative terms that could be used towards women online. So we didn't scrape everything mentioned that mentioned the women online, because of course for Kamala Harris, we already had issues with um, our data collection kind of overflowing in some examples when trying to collect on her and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So what we did was search for the name of the woman plus one of these terms. But the thing is, these abusive narratives um, and these false disinformation narratives we picked up on, they evolved throughout the collection period 
it doesn't just stay the same. It's not the same three swear words you can probably think of in your head that are mentioned to do with these women. And that's the abuse online. There's much more to it. There's a lot of terms that are kind of coded in a way and, and creative. So hashtags that maybe don't have a swear word in them, but imply some kind of um, sexual connotations about the woman. Okay. So during, so during yeah. the collection, apologies. So during the collection period, we were also keeping an eye on other social listening tools to see which narratives were coming up. And then we added those terms into our final full two-month collection that we did historically at the end of the two-month period. So two, in two months, how many, po how many uh, individual posts did you actually end up getting? So the amount of posts we found was about 336,000. And we found that abusive uh, narratives were spread about 12 out of our 13 subjects and outright false narratives were spread about nine out of our 13 subjects. So it ended up being about one abusive or disinformation post every four minutes within the collection period. Um, aside from wondering whether the people who posted that material had better things to do with their time. Uh, what were the principal concerns that began to unfold as you made your observations during, uh, of the data that was collected during that period? Yeah, of course. So there are some some main concerns we're always thinking about with women politicians. And the first is that it could influence votes if people see these false disinformation narratives okay. about women, um, about their sexuality, about um, transphobic narratives and racist and racialized narratives. It, of course, could influence people's opinions of these women and then influence how they what they do when they enter the ballot box. And also a bit of a long-term concern is that seeing these kinds of narratives online as a young woman could discourage you from wanting to kind of be in the public light, whether that's as a politician or some other kind of public role that involves social media participation, like journalism or activism in the future, or even academia. <laughs> well, can I pick up on that latter point? Uh, we know that discourse on uh, social media um, can be extremely coarse, um, uh, coarse, crude uh, language that is inappropriate for polite company being my favourite euphemism of all time. Um, but did you, when you spoke to people during the research, was that element of um, being a target of that kind of commentary a real concern for them? Absolutely. So we didn't interview any of the 13 politicians that we were studying, but another more qualitative part of the report was that we conducted interviews with three journalists or activists. And they felt, one of the women felt that she was put into the dryer and it was turned on high for days when these kinds of slews and dog piles of really abusive comments and sometimes violent threats are, are sent through social media platforms. And another issue that they brought up is that when they report it, one, they have to relive 
all of this abuse when they go to report it. And two, it doesn't even always get taken down. So it's still there for the world to see, um, maybe after the, the deluge has kind of the first wave has passed. Now, you, you spend time talking to people affected by this. Um, you're looking at it through the eyes of a researcher, looking at looking at it through the that I guess the uh, as objective a lens as you possibly can. How difficult is it to do that, given the nature of the topic you are looking at? It's it's not easy to read these things, especially when we're going through trying to add more bespoke key terms that people are saying about these women politicians on live online apologies um that was probably the hardest part because you're looking and you're trying to really wrap your head around what's being said so it was often obvious enough that maybe an automated detection algorithm wouldn't pick up on it but as a human read but as a human reads it they can absolutely tell the the negativity that's within there so that was really difficult but I think the whole team, every, we had meetings, of course, every week or two, we'd always be touching base to see how everybody's feeling uh, and make sure that nobody feels like they're uh, bearing a little bit too much of the brunt after they've closed their laptops at the end of, so we did really stay as a close, tight-knit team the entire time and, and discuss these things openly. The, the, the issue with looking at this kind of material, uh, I don't think it matters whether it's um, that kind of abusive stuff online or whether it's, you know, someone doing work, do researching material on uh, terrorist literature or, or propaganda, mm -hmm. uh, it becomes an issue of self-care, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still, Nina's a, a big mentor of mine and we still chat uh, if um, she, she tends to sometimes be targeted with these terrible things, but she's really strong and resilient through it. And I'm, I'm learning a lot from her and, and other women who are faced with these kinds of things. I'm still a bit, bit of a green researcher, so I'm, I'm lucky that I've not been a main target um, yet, but I do, I do anticipate it in the future, which is really sad, but I think I'm doing my best to kind of prepare for when the day comes that I put out my own big piece of research on online abuse and gender disinformation and, and something will come my way. One of the things you mentioned earlier is the nuance in language and how certain things may not necessarily be picked up by a machine that you're trying to educate. <laughs> um, to what extent um, are you able to try and add the, the, the linguistic nuances that we, I guess, the, the nuances that, that end up being euphemisms for um, whether it be sexual abuse, whether it be misogyny, whether it be um, put downs for people with race uh, or race or religion, uh, whatever it happens to be. Where, at what point do you start adding things to to try and be more precise, or is that or is that difficult? 
Yeah, so a main theme we picked up on, which ended up being the title of the port, the report, is this idea of malign creativity. So that's where a social media user does use coded language, kind of evolves what they're saying if things start getting taken down um, to, to get their message across, their abusive message across without using, uh, again, a swear word you can, a few swear words you could think of in your head right now. The We were lucky in that the way we had access to data for our data collection was that at the end of the two months, we've we've added more and more coded language to our list of terms to search for, and we had historical data access. So we actually did our very final two-month data collection at the end of the collection period. Um, not to get too technical, but typically um, you have to stream the data, so you have to know all of the terms you want to search for ahead of time. But that doesn't really work here, because if the language is evolving, you need historical data access. Yeah. And and finding this this type of the, these types of abusive narratives and really particularly the false ones, it does need to have that qualitative aspect in research. You can't just um, only only use an automated, maybe toxic to kind of toxic comment detector things like that that exist. You do need to go in and look at say a smaller sample of the content and see which themes are there as a human because a lot of this is is again not using those kind of key swear words and is more more nuanced than that. Yeah, um, you there were some recommendations in the report uh, that or observations rather that were made about the that the uh, the phenomenon that you'd observed we covered a couple of those earlier is there anything else you think is valuable uh, for people to know about the overall picture the report provides yeah of course so there were a number of uh, recommendations i will not of course go through all of them they're in the report but they were towards social media platforms toward lawmakers and toward employers so if anyone's interested in any of those three i suggest scrolling to the bottom of the report uh, or reading the whole thing of course but on the the platform side one that would help women who do get this it doesn't stop the problem but it does help them is introducing incident reports for these kinds of things so instead of having to report every single reply to your tweet and having to reread the terrible things people are saying and report it we recommended that there's an incident report where you just report the very the the kind of instigating tweet or kind of higher level so it's a it's a it's a whole there's there's context around the individual tweets that are in response there okay. and and with lawmakers uh, one of our recommendations was also so to have clearer standards on what kind of gendered and sexualized insults um, and disinformation are prohibited on social media and there's also a place for for employers to play a role which also counts as governments who are employing their members of parliament for example mm -hmm. and their politician and that's to have policies to support women who are facing online harassment and abuse um, potentially to help them kind of scrape if they have any personal information that's been leaked online those services are really expensive to make sure that that information such as your address your phone number anything else possibly more personal is 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 cleaned off from the internet so there is um there is opportunities for for monetary support of women in that kind of service for example and also support and giving them the space to deal with these issues the report deals with uh data you 
you know, accumulated over two months. Um, that gives you some insight. You're a, you're a doctoral candidate. Where does this report sit within the broader body of work you're looking at? Of course. So there were two kind of ways that we pushed forward the research here that I'm going to continue pushing forward in my doctoral research. One is that we, even though we did focus on the states and our data collection was during the US election, which was really valuable to wrap our heads around, we did also try to look at other women politicians in other countries. And for my research, I'm going to be pushing that forward and studying Canada, France, and Ukraine. So these are three countries that are all democracies at, at different, at, um, kind of at different stages, um, and also have different amounts of women in parliament and women are treated quite di differently in some of these countries compared to others. So that's one piece that I believe needs to move forward is having more internationalized understandings of these phenomena, because the themes we picked up on of gender disinformation narratives that were sexualized, transphobic and racist and racialized, there will be other themes that come up in different countries. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to explore. And the second piece that um, that I was really proud to be working on with this was again, the fact we were looking at multiple social media platforms. So here we had six that we were looking at. I'm hoping to push that forward more to the platforms that are popular in those three countries to understand the differences there because these are understudied platforms where maybe there's fewer users, but research has shown that information does travel between these platforms. And if you think about it as a kind of a natural environment, pollution, the abuse that is pollution will spread throughout the environment. So keeping an eye on these really, um, these smaller, more niche platforms where this type of conversation has been found to occur, abusive conversation, um, is, is another really, really important piece moving forward and not just looking at Twitter. There's, and you, uh, you look more at the public, I guess, the public space in social mm -hmm. media. Um, is it your intention to go and have a bit of a look at the Wild West, like Telegram or uh, other other platforms that are, shall we say, um, less more moderated? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, one of the ones that I want to look at because it's it's quite popular in Ukraine. So that's the reason that I'm I'm pulling it into there. The trouble with it and the platforms that um that I choose to study, I have to already have an understanding of how I'm going to actually access the data from them. So that is a barrier that researchers face is that it's difficult to get the data from these platforms. So finding um finding methods that others have developed through through something called an API or a data access point um, is really, really important for this kind of academic research to take place. So there are some uh, methods for data access that I'm using. There are fallbacks to them. So for example, I can't search all of Reddit. I have to choose a subreddit or first a smaller community and then search for mentions of those women politicians within that community. So those are the kinds of things that I'm working on see if, seeing if I can find a way to overcome them so I can understand the entire ecosystem of Reddit and a number of other platforms. Uh, things like Telegram uh, might have public channels that are active for a while. Yeah. If the public channel disappears, but you haven't 
got an archive on it of it. There, there's no hard evidence of that abuse or the misogyny or whatever else that you you need to to have as the actual sample for the research um, and a deep dive you're wanting to do. Uh, I'm mindful of the time, Alexandra, and you've been you know, really uh, generous having a chat about the research, which is significant. When um, people hear this, uh, where do they go and look for the research um, online? Where do they find your good work? Of course. So this research was published published by the Wilson Center in partnership with myself at the Oxford Internet Institute and Moonshot CBE. So this research lives on the Wilson Center's website. And I also wrote a piece on the Conversation UK, which is a news outlet for for academic uh, for academics to essentially write news articles. Where I spoke more about the difficulty of automated detection. So I can send those both to you, Tom, and you can maybe add them in the information below the podcast. Absolutely, I'll enjoy doing that, and uh, also uh, hopefully we can stay in touch as you progress through the doctoral research and keep keep an eye on what you're picking up about the, the nasties online and how they're misbehaving. Of course, hopefully we can make it a little bit better too in the next few years. <laughs> well, and the data is critical to be able to achieve that. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much.